Welcome to Breaking Green, a podcast by Global Justice Ecology Project. On Breaking Green, we will talk with activists and experts to examine the intertwined issues of social, ecological, and economic injustice. We will also explore some of the more outrageous proposals to address climate and environmental crises that are falsely being sold as green. I am your host, Steve Taylor. Ahead of this year's meeting of African Union heads of states in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, numerous civil society organizations called on the African Union not to geoengineer the African continent. The organization stated that advancing geoengineering technology distracts countries from their commitments to large emission cuts, responsible consumption, and delivering overdue climate finance. On this episode of Breaking Green, we will talk with Dr. Mufaniso Antia of the Health of Mother Earth Foundation. Dr. Antia is an environmental scientist, researcher, and climate justice advocate. She holds a Master of Science degree in aquatic pollution and toxicology and a doctorate in environmental toxicology from the World Bank Africa Center of Excellence in Public Health and Toxicological Research. She works with Health of Mother Earth Foundation as a program manager and the project lead overseeing Health of Mother Earth Foundation's learning spaces. Dr. Antia is also the Aglophone Coordinator of African Technology Assessment Platform, a network to which Health of Mother Earth Foundation is a founding member. She joins us from Nigeria. Dr. Antia, welcome to Breaking Green. Thank you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the environmental movement? Um, I got into animal environmental biology for my first degree. I had a few lecturers who were very encouraging. They were not entirely in the environmental movement space, but they did a few contracts and um, stuff here and there for, you know, environmental impact assessment. And that piqued my interest afterwards. So I went to do my master's in um, in, um, aquatic pollution and toxicology. And then for that, I did my PhD in environmental toxicology. And then I met um, Nimo Basi in 2016. Yeah. 2016, after my master's, and he spoke in he spoke in uh, in an open lecture somewhere, and I got to listen, and I, I wondered what what a man that is, and I I, I immediately volunteered for his organization, and volunteered for a while, I think a year or two, then finally he invited me to come over and join the the team, and I did, and that's how I started. Well, that's amazing. We interviewed Nemo Basse. He he's definitely quite a, a force of nature, is he not? Oh yeah, yes, yes. Earlier this year, there was a call by civil society organizations that advocate for climate and environmental justice for the African Union to not geoengineer Africa ahead of the African Union Heads of State Summit that was held in Ethiopia. In general, why did these organizations believe it was necessary to make such an appeal to the African Union? There have been efforts by the people in the global north to try to sell the idea of geoengineering to Africans. This, um, this proposal denies and delays the real climate actions and shifts the responsibility of um, climate change to the global south. It also makes the global not avoid taking responsibility of what they've done to, you know, to, um, to um, cause climate change. 
So Africans have been asked to adopt the values and practices with, that could, um, you know, um, have huge consequences on the continent. And not only did African Union, um, not only did we want African Union to know that there are civil society organizations who understand what's going on and who are um, actually advocating against it, we also wanted them to give them the support and the ground to say no to the global knots and, the, and their interventions. So we believe that appealing to the heads of states and the African Union was going to make them see reasons with us to not back that or adopt the geoengineering technologies. That open later actually was, was supposed to be an advocacy tool, uh, same like a mini advocacy tool and awareness creation tool for the ministers. We're hoping that, um, you know, with time that there will be much um, um, details or information out there for um, African negotiators to be able to compare the pros and the cons of the technology like geoengineering so that when they are when they are accepting or rejecting or signing off anything, they would do so from the standpoint of uh, knowledge and understanding and not just because someone is asking them to do so. Do you think the message was heard? How was the response? Um, so I'm, I'm certain the message was heard, but whether or not um, they will adopt it is something that I cannot say or whether they'll make decision based on it. I can't speak to that at this moment, but I'm sure that the message was heard. We're not going to just end there. We're going to keep, um, you know, pushing and as much as possible to um, take, um, seize opportunities of, of any of these deliberations internationally or regionally to keep advocating against um, geoengineering. With climate change threatening devastating consequences around the globe, there's a lot of hope by corporations and the global north uh, being pinned on technofixes, or geoengineering. Uh, could you tell us what ge geoengineering is in general and what type of technologies are being proposed? So geoengineering in, in, in itself is divided into two major technologies. There is um, solar radiation management and there is carbon dioxide removals. And each of these, um, comp each of these two major aspects have other sub-components sub in it. So solar radiation management um, just simply refers to um, proposal to reflect or block solar radiation to reduce the warming effect um, from the sun. So you, you have um, other technologies like the stratospheric aerosol injection, which covers the proposals to spray sun blocking pollutants like sulfites uh, into the atmosphere to hinder the sun's ray from reaching the earth. We have the marine cloud brightening, which is proposals to create very um, precise um, nano nano-sized particles of seawater and spray them into the clouds too. On the other hand, we also have carbon removals um, um, technologies, which removes greenhouse gases from the atmosphere after they have already been emitted. So you have technologies like the bioenergy carbon capture and storage. That's the one they call BECCs, which is large-scale interventions into the farmlands, forests, um, to draw down carbon dioxide into plants and soils to be burned and somehow stored away. You also have, have um, technologies like the enhanced weathering, which is a set of theoretical proposals um, to remove CO2 by spray, spreading um, large quantities of selected and finely ground rock particles onto extensive land areas or beaches or sea surfaces. We have um, ocean fertilization. We also have others, including carbon capture, utilization and storage. We have direct air capture and storage, the DSCCs. We have artificial trees and artificial upwelling and downwelling 
There is also ocean alkalinization, seaweed and algae plantations. All these are targeted to targeted towards remo removing carbon dioxide and maybe other greenhouse gases from the atmosphere to um, somehow um, reduce the effect of an impact of climate change. So those are the proposals. Um, and on the face of it, they sound pretty drastic. Uh, so could we talk a little bit uh, about a few of these in, in particular and, and why uh, there's the opposition? Uh, so solar radiation management, that seems that, that, that's going to be global. Who's going to control and manage it? And, and are, are the effects of it going to be equitable for, for populations around the globe? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, like you said, these these are these are proposals that are going to be on a large scale basis. So first of um, geoengineering um, technologies are technologies that one cannot test in in a confined um, um, area. There's no way you can say let's let's test run it first in a small scale and see what is going to happen and see the impact and then you know um, compare the impact to the bigger population. You can't do that with geoengineering technologies. Its testing is going to um, be large scale, and so will the impacts be. Take, for instance, you're planning to come and test one of the geoengineering technologies in Africa. It, it, it might not just, it's not going to just be a, a, a part of Africa. Let's say you just pick a part of Nigeria, maybe a state in Nigeria to say, okay, let's test this technology here. It's not just going to end there, it's something in the atmosphere. It's going to be far reaching. The, the impact is going to be far reaching. So, that's a lot of things. And then there's also that concern of who is who is controlling it. Most of these technologies are going to require military-grade kind of um, technologies. And and and, and um, people who, who are advocating against it are concerned because um, if you have um, a group of people able to control the weather, able to touch one button or press something to be able to do this and that, who says they will not weaponize it? Who says that those things cannot be weaponized and then used against the um, the less um, technologically advanced countries? So that's a lot of major concern too. There's also the risk of disrupting local regional weather patterns and for that, that for the imbalance in climate with potentially catastrophic effects for Africa, including on water availability and food production. The adverse um, side, side effects could also cause more regional and international conflict. Um, geoengineering uh, technology also supports the postponement of real climate action. I think this is one of the major reasons why people are advocating against it. So instead of allowing people to face what needs to be done to um, put a stop to the uh, impact of climate change, or uh, you're proposing solutions that are temporary. They are techno fixes, like you mentioned. They are, they are temporary solutions that only enables the polluters to continue polluting while avoiding to take responsibilities. Um, this so this um, technology also diverts finances from real systems change and community-led solutions, which will in turn leave future generations stranded. So it, it looks like we are what we are proposing is to avoid taking responsibility to fix it now and push the responsibility and the blame to the future generation. Who's who's making the PR moves on the African continent about geoengineering? Mostly, there are people from their their pro-engineering people from global, global north. Men and women who benefit from the system inequalities that um, of this institution. Um, they are also um, majorly high polluting governments and um, maybe entities reinforcing these ideas. I mean, take for instance the United States is 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 pro geoengineering 
and recently they've been they've just started they've, uh, they've just funded a five year research program into geoengineering and 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 it's funny to to see uh, people who is funding a five year research into geoengineering at the same time opening up new oil pipelines in Alaska. How does this? How would you marry these two? If you're if you're looking for a way to reduce carbon footprint or reduce the carbon dioxide emissions in the atmosphere, yet you're still polluting. You're going ahead looking for new oil pipelines in, in in your own community. And how how do you marry that? So in general, this this whole thing is just a way of trying to see um, ways in which they can t- um, tweak uh, nature in, in such a way that allows them to continue to pollute. That's a very interesting point that some of those groups pushing the geoengineering are also pushing for more more use of fossil fuels. One of the scary things I've been told about the particles in the atmosphere to reflect sunlight is that if we increase the amount of carbon dioxide but reflect the sunlight, you know, what happens if sometime in the future we abandon that technology, maybe because of political instability across the globe, but there would be just an instantaneous huge jump in the ten- temperature that we'd be creating almost what could be considered an atmospheric time bomb. Yes, of course. So there's that concern too for temperature shocks. So if, you, if you're planning to find a way to deposit this, this, this um, carbon and other greenhouse gases somewhere and store them up somewhere, and then suddenly something didn't go right because these um, technologies have not been tested and proven. Something didn't go right and then you abandon them. Of course, there's going to be catastrophic um, uh, um, side effects. It's going to be temperature shock and people are going to be abandoned. And the funny thing about this whole thing is that um, countries in the global north may have one or two ways to be able to manage if such cases happen. But countries in, 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 in Africa, we, we are not that equipped with things to be able to manage uh, um, temperature issues like that. So recently we were talking and then someone, um, was it Nemo who was saying that, um, you, you know that people are talking about 1.5 degrees pre-industrial you know, level, but the truth is that right now in Africa, if you're going to continue, if you're going to even, there are, there are countries in Africa that will be, will be already fried if you have, if, if the temperature is left at 1.5 degrees. Well, I've read in, in some press releases uh, claims that this push for geoengineering is a neo-colonial and imperial effort by rich countries, corporations, and elites to be able to continue polluting while shifting the burden onto the global south, including African nations, who are least responsible for climate change. Thoughts on that? Personally, I believe that colonialism in Africa must have ended in papers. Uh, in reality, it, it, it didn't. But say, for instance, we stop to believe that, um, or agree that colonialism had ended. Africans are still enslaved with what we often call coloniality. The mindset, that mindset that makes them believe that um, whatever comes from the West is the best. Whatever comes from that side, be it food, technology, clothing, making the, the, the average African person begin to abandon their food, their natural food, their traditional food, their traditional means of doing things, technology that we've developed in Africa. So pro-engineering sects are capitalizing on this mindset. So the moment you know that this person does not know, so it's easy to capitalize on that. So they are capitalizing on this mindset to relaunch their subtle, but like I would always say, careful plan to recolonize Africa, starting with our food system. And they are capitalizing on the impact of climate change. 
So coloniality places more importance on knowledge systems and values uh, in, in the West. And it's central to, and central to this idea, I'd say, which um, is, the, is, in, is in need to manipulate the aid rather than transform our societies and economies. There's a careful planned, planned out strategy um, to continue to subjugate African and African. So bringing geoengineering is one of those plans to continue to, uh, um, to, or to come to relaunch um, 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 colonialism. Um, so yes, it is neocolonial. If geoengineering is used, Africa will be affected physically. If geoengineering is adopted and it goes wrong, the West will find a way you know, to avoid liability. Uh, as I mean, currently is the case with um, climate change negotiations. You see, they have uh, since since um, uh, since Paris Agreement, it's been a case of who wants to pay what or who is not going to pay what, and there's been dilly-dallying in in um, you know paying uh, um, contributions as necessary to help with with climate adaptation. So this is going to be the case if this geoengineering thing goes um, goes um, south or goes bad. They are going to avoid um, liability. This idea that Africa can lead in geoengineering is a dream of the West, and they want to use Africa as a figure figurehead again. Um, yes, this drive for geoengineering, I'd say, is neo-colonial. Um, it's just an attempt to reestablish um, a stronger hold and control over Africa. Interesting that you mentioned food and traditional foods. Do you see a parallel with what uh, the, the so-called Green Revolution decades ago in the African uh, continent? Oh, well, I still believe that these, with, with, with the way things keep coming, you know, year in, year out, you keep hearing new concepts and new things bring, being sprung out. Um, um, if it is not um, Green Revolution, it is this one, it is Blue Economy, it is just, just concept upon concept and nomenclature change and everything. So I, I believe that these are all targeted at the same thing recolonization, control, corporate control. So you, especially like, that's something I like to say. Um, I like to say that there's an African prophet, uh, proverbs that said, he that controls a man's food, he controls a person. So if you're able to control how I eat, what I eat, what I do, when I plant, when I harvest it, you are practically controlling me. So yes, I see a parallel, with, I, see, I see a relationship with that. So the Green Revolution had come and they tried that and they're bringing some other concept like the green economy, they're bringing concept like the blue economy, they're just bringing so many things. And now they're even capitalizing to use the word sustainability. So you see companies like um, those actually well-known for policy like Shell talking about sustainability, um, um, co-opting words like sustainability, using um um, um, colors like green and blue, which you see, they are beautiful colors. They used to signify in those times, used to signify something good. I mean, green is life. Blue is um, it's supposed to be the clean indication of clean environment, clean atmosphere. Yes, but you see that these people have co-opted these words and co-opted these terms and tried to use it to manipulate. All targeted at the same thing. Now, climate change. Everyone is saying, okay, yeah, there's climate change. We need to there's, there's there's climate change and it's affecting agriculture and everything. We need to do something about it and we need to do it now. And then people are pushing climate smart agriculture. All systemic, systemically, um, systematically um, targeted at control. Being able to control control what they plant, control how they plant it, control when they harvest it. So it's just, it's just a careful attempt at um, corporate control. From your perspective, what needs to be done to address 
the threat of global climate change? Okay, so um, I'd like to say, I'd like to use an analogy that um, I've used several times in, in some interviews. So um, I often will ask if, if one comes to a place and there is water, just get to a house and then your house is filled with water, lots of water, what would be the first thing to do? Would it be, would you quickly go and find a mop to begin to mop the water or would you, would your first response be to find the source of the water to cut it, stop it? I'm very sure the first response uh, from a reasonable human being would be to first find where the water source is coming from to turn it off from the source. Then you can begin to think about mopping it out. But what these people, what the proponents of geoengineering and other um, false solutions are doing is they try to mop the water. You're trying to use mop to mop the water while allowing the source of the water to keep, you know, gushing out and pulling or pushing out water. And that's a wrong way to, the very wrong approach to it. So it, for me, it will start, um, what's a meaningful response would be like, it will start with everyone accepting that it is time to transit. Like now is the time to transit from, you know, the current source of energy. Now we do not need to wait for oil and gas to be exhausted from wherever it is for us before we stop. Um, uh, recognizing that exploration of oil and gas and the other fossils has done more harm than good will be, will set us on the right path on taking the much needed urgent climate action, which is letting go of fossil fuel. So it, it, it's, it's enough that we are talking about this and saying, let's stop, let's stop, let's stop. If we keep saying, let's stop, um, let's do something about it and we cannot actually stop it from the source. I think it's a, it's a, these are efforts in futility and can only um, end up um, um, supporting or encouraging the others to continue to pollute. So I think that the way forward, the first thing is to for us to transit um, uh, transit into renewables and, and better ways of managing this and then actually finally deciding to let go of fossil fuels. Dr. Antia, is there anything regarding geoengineering or, or climate change that I have not asked that you would like to address? To, we do not want Africa to be seen as a dumping ground or a petri dish to be testing technologies. Africa should not be seen that way. Africa should be able to make decisions for themselves, decide on what they want to do for themselves, and not be um, forced to doing things. Um, we cannot um, we cannot continue to entertain the the talks that oh Africa should keep its forest to offset carbon dioxide while the global north continue to pollute. If we want to keep our forest, we want to keep it because we decide to keep our forest because we have connections with our forest because we take beyond just um, um, keeping the forest to keep our environment, uh, the air filtered and all that, we have a special connection. Africans have special connections with the forest. Uh, some, some Africans take their livelihood from the forest, some source of spirituality, culture, tradition, a lot of things. Some just take food from there. So if you say that, uh, take for instance, the, the concept of the red plus one time like that, um, there was... Take for in, in Nigeria, in the Cross, in Cross River State, there's a rainforest that um, the UN came and said, oh, this should be, you know, um, protected for uh, carbon offset and all that with the red, red, red plus, um, you know, concept. That, that, was, that, 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 that didn't make sense because people were forced out of the forest that they've grown for a long time. 
forced out of their livelihood, sources of livelihood, forced out of their connections, spiritual connections with this forest. So if we must keep our forests, it's time that um, Africans are allowed to decide on what to do by themselves, decide on how to manage their resources by themselves, decide on whether they want to keep forests or not want to keep forests by themselves. I think it's time to just totally cut loose of um, cut loose from this control from the global north. Let Africans begin to rise and wake up and then decide to make decisions for themselves in line with what's um, obtainable with our, our unique um, landscape, our unique context and people. Dr. Antia, thank you so much for joining us at Breaking Green. Thank you so much. It's good to connect with you. You have been listening to Breaking Green, a global justice ecology project podcast. To learn more about Global Justice Ecology Project, visit globaljusticeecology.org. Breaking Green is made possible by tax-deductible donations by people like you. Please help us lift up the voices of those working to protect forests, defend human rights, and expose false solutions. Simply text GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 1-716-257-4187. That's 1-716-257-4187.